can a family-owned business grow and prosper and then successfully transfer from one generation to the next while at the same time avoiding blow-ups and other situations that make for really awkward family get-togethers? My next guest, family business expert, Dr. Stephanie Brondepote, can tell you how. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO, LLC. Dr. Stephanie holds a PhD and is a senior consultant at the Family Business Consulting Group, Inc., specializing in advising family enterprises facing important transitions. She has an extensive background in working with sibling teams and developing training programs to educate next-generation family members. She's a recognized expert on the topic of succession, and she frequently collaborates with clients on key aspects of this process, such as establishing a succession plan, drafting the needed policies and governance structures, and building a framework for next-generation collaborations. Her work is driven by knowledge and experience from the fields of management, entrepreneurship, and psychology. In addition to her consulting work, Stephanie is also the co-author of two books, Building a Successful Business Board and also Siblings and the Family Business. I bet that's got some good stories in it. (laughs) These are two well-regarded practical books published by Paul Grave, and we'll have links to it on our episode page. What's also so interesting about Stephanie is her passion for helping business and how it extends beyond family businesses. She serves on the board of Kate's Club, an Atlanta nonprofit whose mission is to empower children and teens after the loss of a parent or a sibling. What a privilege to have her on the show today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's a privilege for me to join you on this uh, call and really looking forward to our discussion. Well, me too. You know, most of my listeners don't know this, Stephanie, but I grew up in a family-owned business. And as an adolescent and a teenager, I had a front row seat to my parents' American dream. I watched them build a manufacturing company. And as you can guess, in our case, it did not transfer to the next generation. (laughs) And and I understand that that's not unique. It's actually a pretty big club. And that makes some people think that the idea of a family business or the family dynasty is something of an oxymoron. Do you see cases where it really works? You know, I really do. And and you're right. I mean, people, I think one of the challenges is honestly, there's a little bit of a bias perhaps that we see in the media, because it's a more interesting story to talk about, you know, uh, a lot of tension or disharmony, or if family members are suing each other, right? That generates a lot of press that is probably pretty unfavorable. And sometimes that's kind of the only exposure that folks would have. But, you know, Well, depending on how you define a family business, but even using a conservative number, about 80% of all businesses are family controlled. So there's a lot of them out there, right? Sometimes people uh, interact with businesses that they don't even realize are are family owned or family controlled. Um, And I see businesses 
I think we're privileged because we often work with family businesses that um, have enough humility, perhaps, to realize that, hmm, we're going to go through some interesting challenges as we try to continue to collaborate together and we have that intersection of family and business. Maybe we would benefit from some guidance or some, some input from folks who've seen this happen a lot. So I might see a biased sample uh, of folks who actually are pretty successful at it because they realize that you do need to plan ahead. Um, and so I've worked with families that are in their third, fourth, fifth generation of ownership. And it's neat, I think, for folks to have this opportunity to collaborate together, right? It's a platform, actually, that when it works well, that makes family stronger as well as being, you know, a really solid uh, foundation for the business as well. Again, assuming you kind of have the right practices in place so that things that are family issues sort of stay over there in the family camp and things that are business issues are appropriately addressed with, with business sort of thought in mind and with the business decision makers at the table. So there's a little bit of planning and thinking that needs to go into this in order for it to be successful. But absolutely, we, we see that uh, we see that a lot. Well, that's good to know, especially for those listeners that are either contemplating starting a family business or already have one and may be struggling with some issues. So let's do a little deeper dive into that. What are some family dynamic issues that you con- commonly see especially with founders and maybe the second generation business. Yeah, there there are, you know, a lot of different issues. I would say probably the the biggest challenge or the 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 struggle that's really hard to overcome is a notion of entitlement, right? So that goes beyond the family dynamic, but if there's an expectation that you know, if you're a family member, you're somebody owes you a job or, you know, we're not going to hold you accountable in the, in the same way. That can really lead to bad outcomes, both in the family, because, that you know, that resentment will leak into the family system as well. And obviously, if you have folks who aren't really being held accountable or who aren't doing a professional job, uh, that will have bad consequences for the business as well. I think one of the ways that folks can address that is, Again, getting clear on the boundaries, right? What's a family issue and what's a big issue? Often in that first and second generation challenge is a lot of the, you know, a lot of the goodies, I guess, kind of are coming from dad or mom, and but it's really coming from the business, so it's not really clear, right? I mean, people are getting a company car, et cetera, and so if, if we if we engage in those kinds of behaviors, but we don't really make clear what you need to do in order to earn those opportunities, it can create a lot of challenges, especially going down the road, right? It's one thing if, if mom or dad is at the helm of the enterprise and they're making decisions about, you know, who gets to have a, um, a phone, you know, on the company and, and what kind of job allocations are being made, et cetera. If people are willing to accept that guy the founder, by the time you move into the next generation, you know, nobody else gets to be dad. And so that can be a very hard challenge on the family dynamic thing. If there's, a, if there's a sibling who is really going to be at the helm of the business, he or she is the most capable and really is adding value for the company that way, you know, if they haven't done a good job of being clear about how we make business decisions, it can start to feel for the other siblings like, you know, you were trying to be the boss of me. And then again, that, you know, if, if we're looking at it from a family paradigm, 
that's not a really healthy conversation. If we're thinking about it from a business paradigm, okay, well, somebody is the boss, right? And they do have to make certain kinds of decisions. And how can we get comfortable uh, about that? Uh, And so that requires a little bit of planning. Well, I can also see, depending on that sense of entitlement, non-family members that are employed in the company, if they perceive that, that's just going to reduce their employee engagement in the company and create other dynamics that aren't going to be very helpful. No, you're so right. Absolutely. And and it creates resentment, right? I, I think, you know, there's this notion of, are we business first or are we family first, right? Um, and so, again, in family business, often it's a paradox. You want to be both. It, optimally well-run family businesses understand that family members who work in the business you know, we want them to be held accountable like other employees, but they're not just like any other employee. And it's a little bit artificial to pretend that they are because everybody knows, right, that this is the boss's daughter or what have you. However, if you, you have, again, if that becomes sort of an entitlement and just because you're somebody's family member, um, everybody gives you a pass. And somebody then, you know, is working on the same team with you, but you're not really carrying your weight, that really will create frustration. And, you know, really capable people will leave. You know, they'll think, well, gosh, I won't have a career opportunity or one day this person is going to be my boss. um, And I, you know, don't have a lot of confidence in their capabilities. And I think the ship is going down, right? So there's a real risk to the business um, that you're going to lose really key people. You know, either they'll check out, like you said, because their engagement will come down or they're actually going to flat out leave. And I'll be in, you know, I'll, I'll also add that sometimes you see that happening even within the family so that you may have family members who who have a lot of capabilities and are really working hard. Uh, and then there are other family members who maybe are not contributing as much, but there's no difference that's being made, right? I love my children equally. I'm going to pay them all the same. (laughs) Well, you know, I hope you do love your children equally. I mean, of course, that's entirely appropriate from a family standpoint. Uh, However, if we don't recognize that uh, compensation should be related to performance and there should be some sense of what would it cost me in the market to get this job done by somebody else, uh, if you don't have some element of that objectivity, in the system, what you may end up with is that the family members who aren't really contributing are the ones who will stay, and the ones who are very capable, guess what? They could probably go get a job somewhere else, and they might get so frustrated with this that you know, your, your most likely successors or your most capable family members, in addition to your non-family folks, might you know, just check out and walk out the door. And that happens in non-family-owned businesses, too. If contributions are not recognized, people get frustrated, and they, they go where they are recognized. It's, it's really simple like that. But when it comes to making the transition from the first to the second generation, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen? Can you give us an example of one that worked well and maybe one that didn't work so well so we could learn from it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, the, the quintessential challenge that we that we often talk about in the world of family business is about letting go. Right. And if it's a founder, uh, they built this business, you know, their their entire sense of identity is so wrapped up in their business. Right. They've really devoted. They put all their blood, sweat and tears into building this enterprise. You know, often they've been tremendously successful. So they have they have a lot at stake with the business. And so it can be very hard for them 
to feel like the business, you know, their baby can continue without them. But of course, um, what you really want is in order for that business to thrive, the business has to be able to thrive without you. I've had conversations sometimes with CEOs to say, you know, do you have a business or do you have a job with 500 helpers? Right. So if the business cannot function without you, you might not really have a business. Uh, and so, so helping folks to make make that transition, both from a business system standpoint, it's not uncommon, right, when businesses, I'm sure you see this all the time, Hannah, right, with entrepreneurs that kind of have that hub and spoke model, they're right. at the center of all the key decisions. And that works fine when the business is starting out and it's nascent and there's a small team and, you know, frankly, how else are you going to get it done? But as the business continues to grow and scale, you have to be able to let go of some pieces of it, uh, and that can be hard for a lot of uh, strong, driven founders. Um, and so that that's a struggle. And part of that struggle then will become when it's your family members who are stepping in to, to some senior role and, and you want to transition the ownership of the business to your, to your kids. Uh, you know, do you feel confident that they're capable? Does your senior management, non-family leader team, do they also feel that that individual or the, that team of, of siblings is going to be able to, um, to sort of step into your role? And, and frankly, even for founders who've done, who do a really good job and, and emotionally they have other plans and things that they're ready to do and they're excited to transition, they will leave a tremendous shadow. So even if you have a next generation family member who is very capable they have a great senior team with them. It's it's really a lot to try and fill those shoes. So that can be daunting uh, as well, and that, that makes it uh, part of that letting go journey really, really hard. Uh, so what have I seen that's a struggle versus kind of what's, um, what can be success? You know, I think, like we were saying earlier, the struggles that I've seen can often be around, you know, trying to be dad, right? This is the leadership model that I've seen. It's been kind of a very command and control. That worked for dad, so it's going to work for me. In addition to the challenges that that might create with your siblings who might not appreciate you trying to, to lead them in that same way, by the time we've transitioned, you know, 20, 30 years into the journey of the business, if it's grown and become successful, it probably needs a different management style, right? It probably can't run in the same way, you might need to really empower your next level of management to make more decisions and to run things a little bit differently. Uh, and so folks who, who take the, um, who, who aren't able to take on the leadership role in the way that the business needs and also in a way that suits their style and temperament, right? So the business founder entrepreneurial type has a very different way perhaps of running a business and it might have been optimal for that business to kind of get it to that first stage. Sometimes you need somebody who's a little bit more of an administrator at that second stage who's putting in some processes and some controls and some systems, right? But the entrepreneur was a little bit more fly by the seat of the pants and, and that was a great formula for the early years. But for these kind of next 20 years, right, you, you might need a different style of leadership. And if you, if you don't feel empowered um, as the next generation leader to, to take that on or, or you don't know that you have the skills to do it in that way, it can really handicap the business. So those we've seen who've been successful are ones that really take the time to get clear on where's the business going and what are the, what are the systems uh, and decision-making structures we need to build to take us to that next level. 
right? We might need a little bit different ways of organizing our management team than the way that we did it in the prior generation. And we very likely need a different way of organizing our ownership team. So in the first generation, you know, the owner, the leader of the enterprise, the leader of the family, et cetera, that's all wrapped up in one individual. By the time you're moving into a second generation, maybe you have three siblings. Maybe two of them are working in the business, and so they're involved in management. But you have a third sibling who's a third owner of your enterprise, and so they're a key partner, but they're not involved day-to-day in the business. Well, what's the right system for keeping them up to date and hearing their voice and their wisdom as an owner, which is very different than the input of the manager? A lot of times I see a lot of clients struggling with that because they can't quite wrap their head around this idea that you might have owners who aren't working in the business or, you know, and, and, and so just making that evolution can be, can be very hard. Well, ownership, certainly in the second generation, starts to get pretty complicated. What can families do to set themselves and their businesses up for a more successful transition? Well, I think you have to be intentional. So one of the things that I'll often say to second or third generation family groups, you know, ownership groups is to say, you know, maybe the way that we did our estate planning or the family did their estate planning, you know, is the reason you're an owner, right? So by by virtue of how the will was written or whatever, this is this is how come you're an owner. And while that may be accurate, it's probably not sufficient. Right. So as an ownership group, you need to get aligned as to what's your vision for being owners. Why might we be the best possible owners for this business? And all the owners need to get in a room and and get aligned on that. And so that really helps a lot is getting kind of alignment in terms of what's the vision of the ownership group for this business. You know, are we aligned, for example, on how much risk we want to take? That's something that the owners all should have a voice in, right? Now, the management team may have to educate the owners around, well, what are the types of risks we have to encounter in our industry, right? Is this a fast-growth industry or a slow-growth? How much competition are we um, faced with? Are we looking to make acquisitions in order to really kind of strengthen our position in the marketplace? As an owner, even if you're not working in the business, it's your responsibility to be sufficiently knowledgeable that you can participate intelligently in those conversations. I'll often say that, you know, cousins or whatever, I I think it's wonderful that you want to be a school teacher or that you want to do whatever, and you don't need to go get an MBA, but you do need to have sufficient understanding of financial ideas and of the industry that your family's business is in so that you can be a responsible steward as an owner. Um, and so that, that piece of kind of getting alignment is, is really helpful in terms of that transition. And honestly, it's hard to learn how to be an owner, right? That's not something that there's a lot of coursework on. You can, you can go take a class in management. You can go take a class to help you learn how to read a financial statement. But being an owner of a private business, that's not something that is easy to get a lot of information about. And so helping those owners understand what what is that role and, and making it clear that it isn't. You know, if you're an owner and you don't work in the business, it is not your job to tell your sister who runs marketing how to do her job. Okay, that's not appropriate, and that's a boundary violation. However, your family members who are running the business day-to-day do – owe you some communication and transparency about where is the business going, right? It's not, you know, there has to be good communication and appropriate communication kind of both directions. That's a piece on on the ownership that can be, that can be a struggle in particular in that first and second generation transition, like I said, because disentangling those roles is a, is a big leap for, for a lot of families. It's just something that they didn't ever think about. 
another thing that's interesting and you that you see a little bit into that second generation, right, is onboarding your spouses. <laughs> so as the siblings get married and start their own families, now that your family is growing. And then very commonly, ownership will be kept in the kind of what we call the lineal descendant group, right? So the family members who are descended from the originators, the founders of the business, but they're the siblings, but commonly not their spouses. So if the spouses are not owners of the business, but we want them to understand a little bit about what's going on so that it doesn't create frustration, um, you know, managing this boundary, there's a classic example of, you know, we're, we're at family Christmas dinner, and then a bunch of them go off in a room and close the door. Well, you know, maybe the Christmas dinner is not the time to call an impromptu board meeting because your spouses might not really appreciate that. And it might make them feel, you know, more kind of on the outs, like somehow they're not really a full part of the family. But it's okay for them not to be owners as long as, you know, you, you help them appreciate how they can contribute, you know, as spouses that they're educating that third generation of future owners and you want folks to be aligned in terms of the values or, or the, the shared priorities of the family that will influence the way that they manage and operate the business and, and can be one of the great strengths of a family business is that it's a platform for a family to pursue things that are important and meaningful to them and an additional way for them to, to, to do that and to, to really kind of put, put into action things that are, that are powerful and meaningful to them. With respect to onboarding spouses, what's a good way to do that, Stephanie? So onboarding spouses, I think the important thing to do that with that is to, again, have good and open communication, right? I've often worked with families as the next generation is starting to get married to, you know, start by having a conversation with the person who's going to be marrying into the system to help them understand how come this business and this job and this company has such a big footprint in our day-to-day life. Also, you know, what does it mean that we're signing premarital agreements? It's not at all unusual in the context of a family business that, that there's an expectation among the shareholders that everybody does sign a prenuptial agreement. And again, how do you message that, right? How, how do you coach your family members so that when they're in a serious relationship, they're not blindsiding their partner with this expectation and that the partner doesn't feel like you know, it's a communication of mistrust of them. I think if you do a good job with a premarital agreement, and Hannah, I mean, as an attorney, I'm sure you've seen this issue come up a lot. Um, you know, you can use a premarital agreement in a way that is helpful and secures both spouses. So because of this sort of complicated shared ownership of a family business that folks may really want to keep in a lineal line, you are kind of excluding uh, family members from some, some aspect of ownership there. But you may also then use this vehicle as a way to provide some financial security for the spouses. Because, you know, what if the, the owner of the business asset uh, were to die? You know, can you create some insurance policies that would protect that spouse? Do you want to make sure that you're putting some property in his or her name so that they also start to accumulate a little bit of a financial nest egg, et cetera? So I think if you approach sort of the onboarding of spouses from a legal, you know, and kind of what do we have to document here in a way that is not only about like, okay, we got to protect the family business from these outlaws, 
but more from an inclusive perspective of, hey, we're excited to have these new family members bring their intelligence, their wisdom, their passion to our family, and we want them to feel like full members of the family, but there are still going to be some of these kind of constraints, some of these legal documents we have to fulfill. So there's a piece on that. And then the other piece is, again, helping them understand what the family and the business stand for. What, what's really powerful for us? What are we proud of with this business? What do we feel like we can accomplish in the community uh, through the, the jobs that we create? Maybe we do a lot of philanthropy. Are there places where the spouses can play a role, um, where it would be comfortable? And, and when we have family meetings and we provide some general feedback about the business, I find it's helpful to be as transparent as you can be as well with the spouses so that, you know, you, you don't want spouses to have this perception of like, you know, why does my wife earn so much less money than her brother? She's working so hard, blah, blah, blah. You know, pillow talk is powerful. And uh, so if the spouses only hear about the frustration that their, you know, that their partner might come back at home with because they had a bad day at work, um, but they don't have a good insight into into the big picture. You can have spouses that sort of add to tension as opposed to being really a net positive for the family. And I've seen many, many spouses where they are a huge asset and a huge benefit to the family and by extension to the business. Um, but it, again, you, you have to be intentional about that. Well, it sounds like some good planning up front in order to have these communications and have them go smoothly is really going to be a a huge key, as you say, for keeping expectations in line, establishing healthy boundaries, where definitely the word healthy is the one that that is uh, dominant here, so that people understand their roles, they complement each other, and don't fight, or at least minimize the fighting. Yeah, and, and, you know, boundaries is, again, one of those things I've, I've said to families sometimes. You know what? There should be some uh, family gatherings where no business talk is allowed, right? Because very commonly at the sibling stage, all the siblings are working in the business. So you don't have so much the insider-outsider challenge among the siblings, right? They may all be in the business. Now, the way they work together as a team may create challenges. But assuming that's going well, you can still have some challenges because – you know, the spouses will feel frustrated that we're going out to dinner for a family dinner, right? This is just like family time. And all of a sudden, because everybody's in the business, inevitably, that's what we're talking about. Well, you know what, if you don't work in the business, that might get a little bit old. If that's frankly, the only topic of conversation. Uh, and the, another piece that can be challenging sometimes, again, and I can remember having this conversation with a client where a young man had come into the family business. He was, he was a third generation. But uh, his father and aunt really had um, grown the business substantially, and he was very pleased to have this opportunity to work and be mentored, you know, indirectly, because, you know, that's another thing on boundaries. Ideal not to work directly for your parent or sibling, right? So hopefully the business is large enough, you can have a family member reporting to a non-family senior leader. But so he wasn't reporting to his father, but he, he did enjoy the opportunity to talk shop with dad, et cetera. And I, and I did have to say to him finally, I said, you know what, Ben, I think it's wonderful that you get to learn from dad and, um, and really pleased for you that your father's such a terrific leader and a great role model. And it's wonderful that you're getting this opportunity. And, and I, I know you're, you know, you're open and receptive and, and eager to learn. I said, but don't lose your dad relationship, right? I mean, because if every contact and communication you have with dad is about him in the business role and as a business leader and as a mentor, that's nice, but 
he's also dad, right? And so don't don't lose that dynamic of your relationship because you're so excited about the business thing. So try and make sure that you're also carving out some time just to be a father and son. Because I think it's easy, you know, it's easy to think of that because it's just fun. You know, if you're excited and you're enjoying this opportunity, sometimes we focus so much on some of the challenges that you can have and people are not getting along. And But in a situation where people are getting along and things are going really well, you can still sort of slip into some habits, you know, without sort of taking a 10,000-foot look at, you might think, oh, okay, you're right, actually, maybe maybe that might have some consequences down the road that I didn't think about. Well, that's great advice. That's terrific. Stephanie, you've got such an amazing wealth of knowledge in this area of family-owned businesses. I'm curious, who's helped you influence your thinking and your career and your consulting work? Wow, you know, I mean, there's just uh, a lot of different, a lot of different folks that I've had the opportunity to learn from. I'm really fortunate uh, that our firm is, um, you know, such a strong team, really of thought leaders in this space. So, you know, John Warden, Craig Aronoff, who are our founders, have written tons of books and are just, you know, in addition to being well written on this topic are just great, easy to speak to people. And you know, when I started in my career, actually, Craig was my mentor for a number of years directly, so got an opportunity to collaborate with him on a lot of client engagements, and so that, that was terrific. I mean, in terms of books, you know, I love the book on difficult, um, what do they call that, uh, difficult conversation. That's really, really powerful. And uh, anything by, by uh, Lencioni. I think he's a terrific author, Patrick Lencioni, you know, so the five dysfunctions of a team, that's always strong. Oh, the difficult conversations one is actually crucial conversations. I'm walking up to my bookshelf here. Crucial Conversations by Patterson, Grenny, uh, McMillan, and Switzer. That's a terrific book on, you know, how to stay present and bring down the temperature kind of emotionally on important topics and important conversations. That's useful in your personal life or in work or like in the family business world where those things uh, tend to intersect together. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're just about out of time here, and I'm wondering, do you have any parting thoughts for our our listeners who either are knee-deep in family businesses or are thinking of starting one? You know, I think one of the things that I, I use to describe what we do often is developing the architecture of decision-making systems. And by that, I mean whatever decision-making structures you have today, and you know, maybe they work great, maybe they don't work great, but, but the the way that you make decisions in the business and as a family will probably need to evolve as you move to the next stage. And so think about who is a stakeholder in which decisions and how can you create forums where those decisions can be made in a successful way. So, you know, do you need to have a board of directors for your business to bring in some independent folks a little bit from the outside who have experience from other businesses and can bring objectivity to difficult things like for example what is the appropriate compensation for my children i love them equally but i get that maybe in business they don't they shouldn't necessarily earn the same compensation or who is more qualified to do what role right so uh, bringing in some independent and trusted folks who can serve with you at a board level can really bring down the temperature on some of those things and, and probably really help you make better decisions. So how do you evolve the decision-making systems that you that you have today so that they're responsive to what the needs will be for the future? That's excellent. That's fantastic. And, you know, and I think that's also a terrific, terrific advice for any business, family-owned or not, because the more decision-making systems you have that can be independent 
and that aren't revolving around one particular person, the more value the business has. Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. It's hard to make decisions. There's, you, know, you never have all the answers. And obviously in business, you have to be ready to take risk and move forward. But it can be super helpful. And, and it is lonely at the top. There's a lot riding on your shoulders, whether you're the founder and faced with challenges like, gosh, how can I tell my kid he or she isn't really qualified to do this? Or you're the next generation leader kind of trying to step into that shadow. Having a team of people around you, you know, have an appreciation for, for how hard it is. You know, I would say that the people you really want on your board are equal, you know, kind of other risk-taking peers. You know, with all deference to attorneys and, and bankers and, and accountants, they're smart people, and you definitely consult them as advisors. But what you really want on your board of directors are other CEOs of businesses who get what it means to be in that seat. And with that kind of responsibility on your shoulders, they can add a tremendous amount of value, absolutely. Now, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you and learn more about what you do or what the Family Business Consulting Group does, what would be the best way for them to do that? I mean, I would say the best way for sure is to go to our website, which is www.vfbcg.com. We have a lot of publications and resources that are there, articles, books that we've written, et cetera. All of our bios are up there. And, um, you know, my email address is my last name, which is quite a mouthful, Brian de Fonte, <laughs> at vsbcg.com. And certainly email is always the easiest way to reach me as well. But all of my information would be on, on the website as well, as well as the you know, phone number. Well, terrific. We're going to make it easy for anyone listening. Just come on over to businessconfidentialradio.com. The episode will be there along with this course's fabulous recording and uh, the contact information will be there as well as references to your books and some of the influencers that you've mentioned. So Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom, your experiences, your expertise. This is definitely a very specialized area and a very important area when you stop and consider how many different types of businesses are either you know the mom and pop shops or family controlled some very very large ones that have been able to transfer for many generations thanks to the help of people such as yourself so thank you so much for being on business confidential now well thank you for having me Hannah. i enjoyed the conversation and i hope you and all of your listeners have a wonderful day thank you so much giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Keltner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. 
We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.